Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know. Just a trio of helpful types who like to go around the world and escort people through crosswalks and get sued for it. (laughs) (laughs) Escorting someone through a busy intersection against Mm -hmm. the light. Right, and then you get to the other side and hold out your hand. Say, lay some bread on me, sucker. All these are bad ideas. They really are. They really are. But, I mean, we're full of those, aren't we, Chuck? Yeah. I mean, just brimming with them. Ten, that, that's our log line. T- ten plus years of bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or, oh, God, you've been listening to us this whole time? Are you crazy? Oh, boy. So, uh, you feeling pretty good about this one? Because I got to tell you, I am. Yeah. I mean, uh, if folks listen to our, uh, I think— dare I say, was a good episode on uh, the very sad case of Kitty Genovese in New York. Mm-hmm. That was a good episode. You can go back and listen to that, and that's a pretty good setup uh, because in that, just to recap very quickly, in the mid-60s, uh, a young woman was was raped and killed in a very busy area of New York City, and uh, it was very famous because many, many people um, supposedly – Heard the attack, watched the attack perhaps, didn't do anything, mm-hmm. made the news and created something that they study still today in, uh, in psychology classes called the, the bystander effect. Yeah, this, this idea of responsibility diffusion where if you have a bunch of people standing around, no one, everybody just assumes somebody else will help and they don't help. Yeah, jo- Josh will Clark or some help. Sure. Leave it up to him. And I'm sitting there like, well, obviously Chuck's going to help. He's a better person than me. And then we both just stand there and do nothing. Yeah. In the meantime, Jerry's just laying there with like a a Jolly Rancher in her throat. (laughs) Right. But everybody knows she can't talk anyway, so she can't call for help. It's very hard to tell sometimes if Jerry's in in need of assistance or if she's just being Jerry. Right. Or if she even exists. (laughs) Uh, However, our article says that um, the bystander effect in this case in particular led to the first Good Samaritan laws in our country. Yeah. That is not true because no. two years before that, right here in Georgia, our first laws went into effect. Yeah. The the one I found that was the earliest was in 1959. Yeah. So five years before Kitty Genovese was murdered. And that was in California. And that protected doctors who were administering aid in emergency situations. Those Pro- hippie liberal elitists out there. <laughs> right. The the left coast. <laughs> But the, but the, the, it's a weird thing to tie together the bystander effect and Good Samaritan laws because they don't actually go together. They're not that you like you want them to fit together, but when you lay them side by side, you're like, oh, these are these are two different types of sea monkeys. I thought they were husband and wife, but they're not. Oh, I see the correlation. I want to. My brain just won't quite make the the connection. Like if someone had raced down to help. Kitty Genovese right. and, and render her aid and not been a bystander, then they could, you know, that falls into the Good Samaritan laws. It, it does, but really it falls more under like the duty to act laws. Like you'll get in trouble if you if you are just a bystander, if you don't do something. Whereas a Good Samaritan law basically says if you do do something and you help Kitty Genovese or, or somebody who's in trouble and you make their situation worse, you can't be 
sued for for rendering aid because you were acting in in good faith. So it's kind of there, but it's not quite. It doesn't click. I got you. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. All right. Okay. I, I, I just really wanted to get that off of my chest. Well, uh, so yeah, you just kind of said it. Like those those laws are in place now as protections generally um, for American. They happen all over the world. And we'll talk about a few of the laws mm-hmm. here and there. But uh, all 50 states and Washington, D.C., the, the District of Columbia, have some sort of laws on the books uh, that that you can basically be protected uh, potentially – and not held responsible for your actions, if, even if they cause harm. But right. because it's state law, uh, if you're not uh, American, I'm not sure how it works in all countries, but they, the, the laws in, from state to state on the same thing can vary wildly. Yeah. And certainly in this case. It's what they call a patchwork of state laws in need of a federal law, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, because there's so many different laws in so many different states, um, you know, if the actions that you you perform in one state might get you, you know, it might get your mug on the front page of the paper being celebrated, mm-hmm. and in another state, your mug's on the front page of the paper because you just got sued. Yeah, you know. So we'll we'll dive into that a little more. But first, let's talk about where the the name for the laws come from, Chuck. Yeah, I remember this story from my uh, church going days as a kid mm-hmm. uh, that really stood out to me back then because. Uh, well, it's in Luke, and the story is is that uh, a Jewish man was assaulted and robbed uh, on the road and left for dead, basically. Mm-hmm. And some people passed by without uh, rendering aid, uh, a Jewish priest and a Levite, uh, mm-hmm. which is an assistant priest, basically, or assistant to the priest. Do you have the impression that the priest and the Levite were together or that the the priest passed and then at some point later on the Levite passed? You know what? This is going back— a lot of years, dude. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But if my memory is telling me that they w- were two separate things. Awesome. Okay. I knew that <laughs> question would pay off. <laughs> but I might be wrong, but my, my old, I still have some old church memories rattling around in this uh, dusty noggin. <laughs> you just saw like smoke come out of my ears. I thought that was flour. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I'm gluten free though. Oh, are you? No. Oh. <laughs> Emily is, so but by default, I sometimes am. Right, sure. No, I know what you mean. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but finally, uh, as the story goes, a Samaritan, um, that is a person from Samaria, mm-hmm. who were bitter enemies of the Jews, came by, and what did he do? He said, hey, buddy, you, you look like you're having a pretty rotten day. Let me help you out. That's right. And he did. He not only said, "Here, let me let me pick you up and get you out of this dusty road." Um, I'm going to take you to an inn, and not only am I going to do that, I'm going to pay for your room at the inn, and then I'm going to say, "I bid you good day and good health, adios, enemy." Yeah. And he did. Imagine this, Chuck. This Good Samaritan story. It's entirely possible that this actually took place, that this is a real story that happened, right? It's not just a, a parable. Sure, may have. Imagine if you were that guy, that Samaritan who did this thing, this act of goodwill. Uh-huh. And 2,000 years later, people around the world are still talking about it. How, how great <laughs> would that be, you know? Yeah, like 20 minutes after our show ends, no one's going to talk about it. <laughs> right. You know? It'll be just like all of the, sh- the talk shows we've been on. Uh-huh. It's the kiss of death that we have. Uh, 
but yeah, for sure. I mean, every even if you are like the most uh, atheistic, agnostic human on earth, you've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's just one of those things that is is transcended religion into pop culture. Yeah, and I had never known that at the time, like you said, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Um, and apparently, I, I looked it up. They really, really did not like each other. It yeah. wasn't just like over religious stuff. It was over political stuff, too, and how those things intertwined. So they really did not get along. So not only did this guy help somebody in need, he helped an, an enemy in need. Yeah. So I think he does deserve to be to be commemorated for eons over that. Sure. But that's where the name of the law comes from. Good Samaritan laws are when you stop and help somebody, whether it's your enemy or your friend, um, in an emergency situation typically, you are you should not be penalized if your good intentions cause further harm. Right, which seems very much like a no-brainer, mm-hmm. but it is complicated. <laughs> um, the more you read into this stuff, the more you're like, man, there's a lot of nuance to, to the variations of this the, these laws. Yeah, the more you read into it, the more you're like, I am going to end up second-guessing myself the next time I'm faced with an emergency situation. Like, I hadn't thought about it before, but it's like, yeah, you could totally get sued for helping somebody out depending on where you are. Yeah, I've never come across this, not even close. What, an emergency situation? Yep. I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I was one of many at a, an accident. I witnessed the accident. It was like one of those things where you see it happening. You just see it in slow motion, uh-huh. and you're just like trying to will it to stop with yeah. your body, and it doesn't work. It was a, a man who got t-boned by another car that he didn't see coming, um, and uh, I was one of the people on the scene, kind of helping out. But it didn't even occur to me that that. That that man could be like, these people hurt me, you know, in, in helping. I didn't touch the guy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, other people were. And, um, you know, we called for help and all of that. So, I think we did it about as good as you can. Mm-hmm. But nothing about that situation was like, well, I need to I need to watch out for my legal exposure here. Like, right. I didn't, I didn't or Google something that. real quick. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, where, what state am I in? Let me just check out what's going on. Yep. As this, like, you know, person is bleeding in the street. Right, exactly. But it is nuanced. And and after reading some of these examples, I, I you know, I get both sides of the mm-hmm. coin. For sure. So, I mean, for example, like, there are a couple of things that all of this patchwork of of, um, of Good Samaritan laws will, will have in common. Basically two, as this article states. One is that you can't be compensated for helping out. And that's a pretty literal reading of the law. I think it's meant to exempt emergency workers, paramedics, doctors. Like, they, they've got their, their whole own set of laws governing their actions or inactions, right? So, to keep them from giving preferential treatment? I think it's mostly to say this is meant to um, – this is, this is my interpretation of it. Um, but from what I've seen with Good Samaritan laws, it's, it's totally in the eye of the beholder. But the, the – that's meant to say, like, this covers non-medical professionals is who we're talking about. And oh. to, to define that, they're saying this, is, this covers somebody who isn't compensated for their assistance. And that's been transmuted into you can't be compensated for your assistance or else that, that leaves you exposed to legal action later. So when you were sort of kidding around at the beginning, though, but if, if you saved, let's say you performed the Heimlich at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And the person's like, man, you just saved my life. Here's a, here's a Thinsky. 
Right. Don't take that $5 bill. No. And also throw it back in their face and say, this is what your life is worth. Right. Exactly. And they say, yeah, I don't really love myself. <laughs> well, then, then you introduce them to a good analyst and go about your day. Sure. Or analyst. Take- what is that? What am I, a New Yorker in the 70s? You sound like Cary Grant. <laughs> Nobody says analyst anymore. That was weird. I think that's what Bob Newhart was. Was he? I think. I think, yeah, he did consider himself a, an analyst. That seems like an antiquated term, though. Yes. Now it's therapist, right? Or shrink? Yeah, yeah, shrink, head shrinker, I think, is the preferred term. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been in a while. Oh, yeah. Ah, years. It's good. Yeah. It's good, good to go talk to people, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, but I got it all figured out now. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> You're cured is what they call that. Yeah, they cured me. I hope they gave your shrink an award. Yeah, do you know what the cure is? What? Is uh, not really thinking about things too much. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's good advice. No, think, I'm just kidding because people have real problems, but I, I never have had the real problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like even if you don't have like real problems, if you don't have like, a, you know, some sort of chemical imbalance sure. or a diagnosable condition, just about anybody can benefit from time to time to go. Absolutely. Just talk. Yeah. It's not even necessarily the counselor helping you. It's just being in a, a situation where you're, talking out loud and talking through your problems to find out what you actually think, it's very helpful. Yeah, I mean, I do that at my doctor and my dentist, and they're like, <laughs> dude, we don't want to hear this. Go see <laughs> right. go see an analyst. You're like, well, I, no, I'm knocking out two birds with one stone. <laughs> so, uh, all right, let's go over just a couple of these. I mean, like we said, they're, they're different everywhere, but well, there are some— Well, hold on. There was one other thing, Chuck. Oh, Okay. So I said that there were two things in common, and one of them is you can't be compensated. Oh, sure. The other one, almost across the board with any any law you're going to find, is that you can't act recklessly, recklessly right. or neg- negligently. Wow, that's tough to get out. <laughs> you would not hold up in court. No. <laughs> I'd be like, give me my $5 as your lawyer. Or maybe that's your defense. You're like, Your Honor, I can't even say reckless and negligence. <laughs> um, yeah, those are two important uh, factors for these laws, for sure. Yeah. Like, that's that's what they all have in common generally, right? That's right. But from there, like, if you go to Oklahoma, let's say, mm-hmm. you're only um, given protection uh, if you are uh, untrained, like you're just a regular person. Right. You're not a, a, a medic, let's say, or a right. doctor. And only if you're giving CPR or trying to stop blood loss. Right. That's weirdly specific. I've seen that, like, um, that, that's, that's, you could say that that was the third thing that they all have in common. Like, if you're administering CPR or something really basic that any person would want to do or try to do, um, you're probably protected by a good Samaritan law. Yeah, and defibrillators are covered in a lot of these laws mm-hmm. since those have really gotten, uh, I guess, just more common. Like, the you know, the, and I looked into buying one of those. They're expensive, though. Yeah. You looked into buying one? Yeah. Just carry around with you? No, not to carry around, but to uh, to have. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. Like, not in my car. I got gotcha. you. Um, so you could, I mean, you could help somebody stranded on the side of the road with a jumper cable or get their ticker going again. <laughs> no, the no, key no. I've heard is that when you're, um, when you're setting them up to be defibrillated, you have to shout hot stuff right before you <laughs> engage it. I, th- I thought they would be like three or four hundred bucks. How much are they? I don't. I mean, thousands of dollars. Oh, really? I can't remember how many thousands, 
but it, it was enough to where I just kind of closed the browser and <laughs> went and looked at uh, Ain't It Cool News or something. Well, you know, God bless those malls in America for yeah. having them every 10 feet and keeping us, us all safe. Sure. I'm sure their insurance helps pay for that. I guess, you cynic. <laughs> uh, here's another one. In Vermont, you can be fined, actually, if you are a bystander and don't do anything. I kind of love this one. Yeah? This is this is what I think the law should be, you know? Get a penalty in, unless you're jumping in there? Yeah, and I mean, obviously not putting your own life in jeopardy. Like, this is not like if you see somebody getting mugged, you have to right. like, go wrestle the gun away from the guy. Or, or jumping into the frozen Potomac River. Sure. But that if you see someone in need and you just keep walking by, you should you should suffer some sort of consequence for that. You should act. Yeah. Um, that I mean, this is a this is a, a very slippery slope right here because compelling people to act that's that's a big that's a big infringement on personal liberty. Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of like, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you have to invigorate somebody's humanity with a, a little bit of law here or there, I'm I'm kind of in favor <laughs> of that. Um, one of my favorite stories that I can ever see on any news program is when you see a group of people coming together to like, and saving people is great too, but like to pull a goat out of a river or something. <laughs> and there's like the guy with the truck and another guy's like, I got rope. And this lady comes up and is like, I'm a goat whisperer. Right. Uh, and they all, like you see like six or eight strangers come together to to rescue like an animal. Yeah. But they tied the, the best. They tied the knot too tight and they accidentally pulled the goat in two. And then the goat sues. Yep. That's <laughs> how it goes. Uh, and then Michigan, just forget about it. Like, it, it is so convoluted and weird in Michigan. Yeah. Um, they protect people who decline to offer assistance, but mm-hmm. then they also protect, like, what is it, ski patrol? <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? There's, like, three very weirdly specific if you're a block parent, which means right. that you your house is designated as a safe place, you know the safe place signs that you see on 7-Elevens and stuff? I've never noticed those. It's if you're a little kid and you, some, some stranger danger guy in a trench coat is following you, you mm-hmm. can run into a thing that has a safe place I've never sign, noticed those. And they will protect you and huh. call the cops and call your parents. In Michigan, I guess you can volunteer as a person whose house is a safe place. Oh, cool. And you're, you're exempted through Good Samaritan laws. Right, but you show up and they're like, you're an Ohio State fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't come in. Uh, so potential assisters, uh, medical personnel, block parent volunteers, and National Ski Patrol in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're giving CPR or using an emergency defibrillator. Again, I think that's pretty well. That's like covered almost across the board. That's like the one area that they just <laughs> want to make sure that everyone – once, you know, would we'll, we'll jump in on? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's one of the reasons why they make them so prominent in in public. I mean, it's not like you have to break glass and there's like a fire hose that you have to know how to get off and turn the thing on. Like, it's meant for the public to go grab and use, not just for emergency personnel. Because using a defibrillator in a, in a timely manner has such an impact on, on the survival rate from a heart attack that you want people walking around knowing how to use yeah. one and ready to use one in in an emergency situation. Uh, Argentina, this is uh, tricky. Yeah. You could uh, face uh, jail time for either putting a person in jeopardy or abandoning a person to their fate. That's a real fine line. It is, for sure. Like, I, I think if you... 
Yeah, it, it is a tricky one. I went back and reread it too, and I'm like, nope, that's it's a tricky one for yeah. sure. But I like the idea of abandoning to them to the, their fate if they need help, like somebody on a mountain or something like that. Yeah, and just being like, sorry, chump. And walking along, I like that idea that you sh- you have to do something for them. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying. <laughs> right. You like the idea of just saying, well, it's kind of in God's hands. No, that's Michigan. Michigan protects right. that. Right. Sure. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's, man. All right. Let's take a break, and we're going to talk about a very uh, interesting case from California uh, about 15 years ago, right after this. All right, dude, we're back, and we are in California, and during the ad break, we got in the Wayback Machine, and it's 2004. Yeah. Oh, wait, I was still living there. Oh, yeah, the, we're going to run into you. I've arranged it. I just didn't know you. I'm like, who's that guy? I got in touch with Past Chuck, and I said, you're going to want to <laughs> meet somebody special. You're like, just wait for that beard you're going to have one day. <laughs> right. I'm like, what? I don't. Yeah. I can't grow a beard. Yeah. And he'll be like, well, at least I got all my teeth. That checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the salad days. Yeah. Um, All right. So this case is really interesting. Uh, Lisa Torti and Alexandra Van Horn were uh, makeup artists that worked together. Um, Friendly acquaintances as coworkers. But I didn't get the picture that they were like best buddies or anything. Yeah, I would guess the lawsuit implies that they weren't. <laughs> so they went out uh, as a as a group of uh, not just those two, but a bunch of people from work, went out for some drinks uh, in the L.A. area. One of them, uh, Alexandra Van Horn, was headed back and crashed her car. A pretty bad crash. I think it was like 45 miles an hour into a telephone pole. Yeah, really? Yeah. Jeez. Like all the airbags deployed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa Torti was, uh, saw this got out of her car, saw smoke, saw liquid, and was like, I think this this car might explode. I need to do something quick. Mm-hmm. And pulled Alexandra Van Horn from the car, uh, which seems like it had a hand in, in paralyzing her. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing you want to really be careful doing is moving, moving somebody. Yeah. And you probably don't want to move them at all. But again, Lisa Torty thought that, th- that Alexandra Van Horn's car was about to blow up. So she decided that... She was better off trying to get her out of the car. And in court, uh, Van Horn said that Torty yanked her from the car like a rag doll. Yeah. Um, Torty said, the smoke, the smoke. And, and I mean, looking back on it, it's probably, it was antifreeze on a hot, hot motor. But even still, she acted in good faith. Right. And so California's Good Samaritan laws, she said, you can't sue me. I was trying to help you. Um in an emergency situation, sorry, the Good Samaritan laws cover this. And by the way, I'm no longer speaking to you. Yeah, probably so. Uh, it went all the way to the California Supreme Court uh, where they ruled that um, she could sue her friend uh, and coworker <clears throat> because protection uh, at that time, at least, for the Good Samaritan law was only for those administering medical care, not rescue care. Well, so the law said that it was emergency care and the court interpreted that to mean medical care. Oh, gotcha. Which was like, what? And the legislature even said, like, no, that's not at all how we meant it. 
Interesting. Yeah, in fact, they amended the law the next year to say specifically medical or non-medical emergency care. But that vagueness got um, got Lisa Torty sued. Yeah, and I was. It's hard to find out sometimes final results of legal cases. Mm-hmm. We've like had that problem. I feel like a lot over the years. Yeah, the media they have a short attention span. Well, it's that, and I think sometimes these things are just still dragging out. Oh, really? You think it's still going on? I think so because I found an article from like three years ago. Uh, cause I was just trying to find out what happened with the lawsuit mm-hmm. and apparently, um, the, the woman who pulled the woman being sued, mm-hmm. uh, Torti had two different insurance companies, uh, one of which said, I'm not getting involved in this. The <laughs> other of which said, you know what, I'm going to, we're going to agree to defend you against the lawsuit. It was settled for $4 million. Wow. And then the one insurance company that agreed to help Defender mm-hmm. sued the other insurance company mm-hmm. and said, you got to pony up half of this. Mm-hmm. And um, the last thing I saw was a district court judge ruled for the defendant's insurance company. In other <laughs> words, the one that said, I don't want any part of this. Okay. You don't have to pay. Uh, but then it said uh, an appellate panel reversed that decision on Wednesday, and that's literally the last thing I could find. Wow, wow, that is still dragging on. Holy cow, Chuck, nice so, research. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. There may be something newer out there, but uh, there are probably tricks that uh, legal scholars know that I don't know about but, researching this stuff. I mean, what does that say, Chuck, that— <laughs> That like an insurance company can just be like, we're your insurance company, but we're not we're not touching this one. Well, it was complicated though because it was it was insurance. It wasn't like just insurance for me walking around if I want to help someone. It was mm-hmm. car insurance. So it was oh, it all okay. came down to whether or not I got you. It was considered a, a use of a car mm-hmm. by her opening that door and unbuckling her seatbelt and pulling her out. Whether that was using the car. I got you. That, that Very makes complicated. A little, a little more sense, though. <laughs> it's just, you know how, like, convoluted that stuff gets, though. It it does, for sure. Like, legally. But that whole, like, so the whole legality of this whole thing, um, that that made that whole Lisa Torty and Alexandra Van Horn case, I mean, I heard about that when that was going on. Everybody heard about that case because it was like, whoa, wait a minute. She was trying to help, and now she's getting sued. And yeah. why are why are friends fighting? That whole kind of thing. And that was 2004. And then two years later, China started to rise as a great power of anti-Good Samaritanism. Um, Big in, time. In a lot of different cases. And all of it started in 2006 in a, the case of Peng Yu, who was a man who got off of a bus in uh, China and saw that a, an older woman had fallen and— um, broken her hip. And so uh, she had been trying to get on the bus. Peng Yu was coming off of the bus and um, he went to go help the lady. Well, the lady later said that he was the one who caused her to fall and sued him. And he was like, I'm just an innocent bystander who was being a good Samaritan helping this lady. Well, the the court said, nope, Peng Yu, we, we've decided that um, you probably did cause the fall Otherwise, why else would you have helped the lady? <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and there's more nuance to it. There were there were a couple of things. Peng, you said he was the first one off the bus, and the mm. court said, well, then you were probably the, the person to bump into the lady and knock her down. And also, why did you give her 20 yuan, um, which is about 30 bucks, 
uh, if, if you didn't feel responsible? And then thirdly, if you were acting heroically, why didn't you go apprehend the person who knocked her down? Why would you go help? So there's a little more to it than just like nobody would possibly help someone out of the goodness of their heart, so you're guilty. But that's kind of how it got played up in the popular media, both in China and in the rest of the world. And so Peng Yu became this cautionary tale. Like, if you see somebody hurt in the street, don't help them yeah. because they will sue you. And people started to do that. And so people in China, it, in a, a, a few really big cases, sensational cases, did just that. They stopped helping people who clearly needed help, and people were dying as a result. Yeah, I mean there were. I mean, there's this one case I can't even talk about. I know, uh, but it was just awful. You know, people not helping people clearly in need uh, became sort of an epidemic in China uh, until they finally changed some law in what uh, just last year, I think. Yeah, uh, a national Good Samaritan law in 2017 that does offer protections, but you sent that one article that. Uh, was like it's out of hand in China now in the other way. Right. Because this this one uh Donald Clark, a law professor, uh who actually specializes in Chinese law at GW, said that in China you can like see someone choking in a restaurant and attempt a tracheotomy with a butter knife with no training mm-hmm. and be covered. And yeah. and you won't can't be sued. Which yeah. is I think everyone would agree that's that's a little too far. Yeah, no matter what you do, you cannot be held liable for acting as a good Samaritan, even if it's the most reckless, negligent thing yeah. you can imagine. Trying something you're not familiar with at all, you can't be sued. And so some people said, well, not only does this Article 184, this new law, um, cover, it goes too far in covering people, oh, yeah. protecting people, it doesn't address the problem, which is this culture of distrust that's been kind of fostered by these judges who are ruling in favor of people who are accusing the good Samaritans that have helped them of actually causing their injury Yeah, and creating this chilling effect in helping people. I mean, people literally, elderly people getting hit by cars and being left in the street as people walk around them. Yeah. And then being hit by another car and killed later on, like a half hour later. Like, this was happening. This was going on. And people wouldn't go anywhere near these people because they were afraid that they were going to get sued. And 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 it was mostly because judges um, in, in the court system were saying they were siding with people with zero evidence whatsoever just Basically on a suspicion of someone's good intentions. Yeah, I mean, that original case when they said, uh, what was the man's name again? Peng Yu. Peng Yu. They had no evidence whatsoever. It's not like it was on uh, uh, closed caption uh, television or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It was just, like you said, the judge going, "Eh, seems to me like it's pretty weird that you would have helped had you not been the one that actually knocked her off to begin with. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, it's good that China has this Good Samaritan law, and it's it's a, a very broad law, and it probably needs to be walked back a little bit. But um, they also need to go after the, the, the judges or the, I guess, kind of the sentiment or thought process of judges that kind of just says— why would you help somebody out if you weren't if you weren't the one that caused the accident? Until they do that, and until they go after these, these group um, peng shi, which are basically crooks, mm-hmm. people who like lay down in front of cars and pretend they got hit, um, and then sue the people, and are frequently found 
like in, they're ruled in favor of their case. Until that is rooted out, the people are still going to be distrustful of helping people who are in need. Yeah, and that even the Van Horn case. I mean, I know she's trying to help, but like you're not supposed to move people. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone kind of knows that, and this woman ended up paralyzed. And if it was a direct result of that, then I don't know. It's, it's a, that's a tough one, you know. Well, they say the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I know. That's kind of like where that 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 lies. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad for both parties for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because this the the uh, torty was legitimately trying to help. She wasn't like, mm-hmm. well, let me do something that might really hurt my coworker further. Mm-hmm. She thought that car was going to blow up. Yep. You know, so let's get her out of there. Right, exactly. It wasn't like, you know, she'd always harbored some deep resentment of her, so this is her chance to paralyze her. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Not funny at all, no. except for the way that you said it. So we should probably take a break then. We're, we're going to recover from that and distract you with an ad, okay? Yes. Okay, Chuck, so there's another big um, push in Good Samaritan laws in the United States. It's interesting how they're kind of like refined as as things go on, Mm -hmm. but there's this thread, the sentiment that runs through them that's like, okay, we need to make sure that people aren't, don't hesitate in helping their fellow, their fellow human in need. Yeah, a lot of these, uh, I mean, it's labeled as special interest Good Samaritan laws, but Mm -hmm. these, these are great. Like, it makes a lot of sense, especially... Well, they all do, but this one about the food donation. Right. Um, in the mid-1990s, there was a realization that a lot of food was going to waste, 14 billion pounds specifically of food going to landfills uh, when people in America needed that food. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've heard stories about grocery stores are can't be held liable, so they just have to throw that stuff away. Right. So they passed the, the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Food Donation Act which is to provide some protections uh, in case you donate food and someone gets sick from eating that food. Right, exactly. So I remember back when when grocery stores did have to throw that away before that law, and it was just so wasteful and so just morally wrong. Mm-hmm. So they passed that one, 96, good year for passing laws, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and then there's e- even newer kind of push of Good Samaritan laws that are protecting college kids who drink too much, even though they're underage. Mm-hmm. They might be worried, oh, man, I'm going to get expelled or kicked out of college oh, yeah. if I call for help. Mm-hmm. And so apparently that some of them weren't calling for help. And so some universities, I think it's up to 30, 240 universities in 35 states now have something called a 911 Lifeline or 911 Good Samaritan Law, where if you call for help for yourself or for somebody else who's had too much to drink and it's like a medical emergency, you won't get in trouble for having been drinking underage. But it's laid the groundwork for um, a, like a larger law about opioid abuse that we really kind of need. That's a Good Samaritan Law for... Um, that that protects people who are calling for somebody who's overdosing on heroin, um, where under normal circumstances they might hesitate because they're on heroin themselves and they don't want to get busted for it. 
Yeah, what's uh, it's called uh, naloxone, mm-hmm. and this is uh, basically it, it comes as like an EpiPen now, and it's something that cops have in their emergency kits, and uh, just like an EpiPen, is something that a civilian can use. You don't have to have medical training. If someone is overdosing on an, an on heroin or some other kind of opioid, mm-hmm. you just inject this thing, and that can save their life. And so junkies don't want to call the ambulance or the cops or whatever, just the same as an underage college kid doesn't want to call the cops. So they're often described as medical amnesty laws, uh, and, and it's great. You know, this is exactly – and it's making a difference. There was uh, one study in 2002 at Cornell about the uh, alcohol one, mm-hmm. and they said there was uh, a rise from 22% to 52% of um, – counseling sessions attended by students in 2004 because students weren't afraid, you know, I'm 19 years old or whatever and I need help. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, it's, it's shown that it's working. And I think the same is, is going on with this uh, uh, naloxone drug. Right. Yeah. So like the naloxone, it, it kind of has its own protection where whether you're somebody who's on heroin or not, if you administer that, you could be a medical professional. It's like such a new thing. Um, that that they've they've realized they need a specific Good Samaritan law for that to cover anybody who's administering um, naloxone, like if they do some damage or whatever, they were still trying to help. But then also, if you're like on heroin yourself, just calling nine one one, you can have immunity in mm-hmm. some states from getting busted for heroin for being on it yourself. Right. So, so like, let's... hey, we're gonna save you, and you're under arrest. Right, which I guess is is still in some states. It's still a possibility. Sure. You don't like you don't want people worrying about whether they're going to get popped themselves, and then saying, "Well, I can't really call for you know uh, shorty juju over here," <laughs> which is I guess a, a heroin user's name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So the 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 heroin user who's overdosing, who would otherwise live, dies because they're the person they shot up with, like, is too worried about getting busted themselves. Because the last thing a, a, a heroin addict or drug addict might do in the throes of that drug mm-hmm. is think, let me call a cop or an ambulance. <laughs> right. You know? you know what I need? A police officer. <laughs> they might help. All right. Uh, they'd say, like, as far as advice goes uh, for good Samaritans, um, this article you know, counsels people to think sensibly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most states do have laws to protect people that if you're doing something reasonable to try and help, uh, which all goes back to, you know, in the split second is kind of tough, but that all goes back to what you're saying, like reasonable maneuvers to help somebody, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not necessarily like... um... Like, don't try the tracheotomy. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so that kind of ties into a second point. Like, don't try things you're not trained to do. And th- it just kind of ties into reasonable. Like, is is trying to administer CPR a reasonable thing if you come upon somebody who's not breathing? Yes, totally reasonable. Um, is it is it, you know, unreasonable to try to, like, get their heart going by, by pumping their arms up and down and accidentally dislocating their shoulder? It's probably not going to be protected by a good Samaritan law. Yeah, but how much can you get sued for for a broken collarbone? Uh, probably a lot, especially if the person's like a ping pong player or a professional <laughs> illustrator. Yeah, you ruined my ping pong career. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you like ping pong? Love it. We need to do an an episode on ping pong. I love ping pong too. I'm surprised we've never squared up, squared off. 
I, I, am, I am as well, Chuck. Well, we've never been in the same room as a ping pong table. That's, that's probably why. That's what I was thinking. I was going to make a camp joke, but you beat me to the truth. <laughs> uh, you got anything else? Uh, oh, yes, I do. There's one thing that came up, if you don't mind talking about it. Uh, the Seinfeld thing. <laughs> yeah. I think you I'm remember? okay to talk about it. Do you remember how that... Um, yeah, how the, final, the, the final episode, right? Right, yeah, which is like the least funny episode of Seinfeld ever. But it had like a weird message when, when the gang gets gets put in jail for watching a guy, I think it was Jonathan Panette, get carjacked uh, by somebody with a gun and just sitting there making fun of them while they're videotaping it, right? Yeah. And that kind of raised this, this, it kind of ties into Good Samaritan Laws. A lot of people are like, can you actually, is there any place in the country where you can get get in trouble for that kind of thing? And it turns out, no. That kind of falls into that duty to act law um, where you are in some places like Vermont or uh, I think in, in California under some circumstances, you are required to report a crime but you're not required to actually intervene. That was like kind of that big point I, I made earlier at the beginning of the episode. That's a big distinction, right? Yeah. And not only are you, um, re- you know, not required to intervene, you're not even required to report the crime during the commission of the, the crime. For most duty to act um, laws, you just can't walk away and pretend you never saw anything. That's the right. key. Um, that's where you'll get prosecuted. So the Seinfeld gang probably would not have gone to jail. Mm-hmm. And uh, this article that I read quotes a guy who's an attorney in San Diego um, named somebody Liss. Oh, man, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Franz List? No, not Franz List, who's a great, great composer. <laughs> but a uh, L-I-S-S. Oh, uh, Liss. Yeah, his name was Peter Liss. He's a criminal lawyer from San Diego who ended up in this article. He basically says not only should they not have gone to jail, they provided very valuable evidence by recording the entire crime. So let them off the hook. Has there ever been a tougher show to end than Seinfeld? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. But they really chose a, a very specific, unsatisfying way to do it. What about um, Sopranos? Everybody hated how that ended. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I loved the Sopranos, but then moved to LA during its run and didn't have TV, so I quit watching it. Mm-hmm. But I do remember all the hoopla. But Seinfeld's just one of those. I mean, the, the last episode stunk, but it's just a hard show to end because you can't. It was the most unsentimental show probably in TV history. Sure. And most shows have a f- finale that is highly sentimental. Right. And you just you couldn't do that on Seinfeld. It would not have been true to the show. So it, I don't know what I would have done. It's uh, yeah. a tough one. It is a tough one. Maybe it was the perfect ending and it just wasn't a great episode. You could make that case for sure, you know? No, I'd like to hear maybe if someone had a better idea. Okay. Right, rewrite the Seinfeld finale. Yeah, in 160 characters or less. <laughs> yeah. Tweet it to us. Uh, or 240 now? What is that? It's weird. Anyway, uh, I think that's the end of this episode. We kind of let this peter out too, huh? Yep. Okay, if you want to learn more about Good Samaritan Laws, that's actually a tip. Go learn your state and or country's Good Samaritan Laws so you know what to do when you're ever faced with an emergency situation. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, this one's great. I'm just going to call it great email. Good. 
guys, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, in this glass of wine I'm drinking, I wanted to reach out and tell you how thankful I am for you. I've uh, been listening to the show for a few years, and your comforting voices, light dad humor, and interesting topics have become increasingly important to me. Uh, my brother passed away almost two years ago at the age of 24. He was an incredible soul and would have loved your show. I had trouble falling asleep for a while and began playing your podcast when my mind was racing and I needed the distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell asleep to many interesting topics for months and I greatly appreciate your help through the sad times. Uh, last year I sailed from Seattle to San Diego with my uncle and father. Uh, this was the scariest and most exhilarating trip I've ever taken, ever. Uh, we kept a watch system, two hours in, uh, on and four hours off. During my first two-hour night watch alone, I was scared uh, poopless. <laughs> with no land in sight and my life vest secured to the boat, I plugged in my headphones and listened to the Stuff You Should Know Selects fecal transplants episode. Uh, midway through my watch, a pod of porpoises started following and playing with the boat. I could only spot their phosphorescence, but I was so darn happy sitting there in the cold and dark listening to you both talk about poop while watching the porpoises create tubes of glitter in the Pacific. Wow. Uh, can you imagine that, dude? Yeah, that's amazing. And our voices didn't ruin it. <laughs> I know. Uh, this brought me so much comfort in a time of such great discomfort. Now, you've heard it before, and at the risk of sounding sappy, your podcast brings comfort and joy to your listeners, and we appreciate you. Uh, my brother's birthday is tomorrow, and I have been catching up on your latest episodes, thinking about the time you helped me get through, and I wanted to say thank you. Uh, thanks for being there for me in a weird way, and thank you for your friendship and your jokes and your comfort. And that is Jane from Seattle. Awesome, Jane. Thank you so much for letting us know that story. That's like the the deer on the tracks story that Will Wheaton had in Stand By Me. That's right. That's a pretty cool story. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Jane did to let us know one of your coolest stories, you can tweet to us. You can join us on Instagram. You can hang out with us on Facebook. You can find links to that on our site, stuffyoushouldknow.com. And you can send us a good old-fashioned email to stuffpodcasts at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.